Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and Friends. This week's friend is Susie Thompson. We recorded this in her home in Berkeley, California. Get Up in the Cool is listener-supported. Shout out to Virginia Masland, Robert Jansen, and Lee McCracken, Get Up in the Cool's newest supporters on Patreon. Thank you all so much. If you want to join Virginia, Robert, and Lee, head on over to patreon.com slash getupinthecool and sign up for a level you can sustain. I put a link in the show notes. Stick around afterwards to hear how to keep up with this week's guest, but first, here's my interview and jam with Susie Thompson. Enjoy. Tune. I know. <laughs> it's so the shores good. of Lake Erie. <laughs> Susie Thompson, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Nice to be here. Yeah, I've been wanting to interview you for a long time, but we're very seldom in the same place at the same time. And so thanks for saying yes so last minute to this. Yeah, great. Yeah. What did we just play? Oh, we just played a tune called The Shores of Lake Erie. Oh, that's the full title, not just Lake yes, Erie. Yes, it's, yeah. it's yeah. um I, I learned it from a couple of different sources, including a recording from, I think it's from 1908, of a fiddler named William Craig, who may have been Canadian or he may have been Scottish, nobody yeah. really knows. And yeah. he did it in a medley, I forget what the other two tunes, in the middle of a medley with two other tunes, and then 
There's a John Sharp recording, and he also okay. does it in a medley with two very similar tunes. And then there's also a Jahail Kirkhoff okay. um, recording. And on the old one from 1908, you know, those early cylinder recordings, they would have the Edison recordings. This is the shores of Lake Erie. There would be some stentorian yeah. kind of announcer announcing the tunes. And when Jahail Kirkhoff plays the tune, he announces it the same way. So you know that he learned it from that recording. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool way to yeah, trace it back. And I think it might, well, Eric thinks, and I agree, that it might be the source for the tune um, of Jesse McReynolds called... Dixie Hoedown, I think. Dixie There's a lot of similarities. A bluegrass tune. Very interesting. So, I, I love to, I love to find out, you know, where did they come from and where did they go? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that because I think sometimes people really like to romanticize isolation. You know, they like to be like, oh yeah, this is like, this tune was like born and died here, you know? Yeah, and I, no. and I like, you know, this is a tune. About I don't think that's ever, ever yeah. been true. Really. Even before the railroads, there was itinerant peddlers and, you know, Yeah. and I love yeah. the idea that like, you know, just like today we're, you know, digging through archives online, trying to find a cool tune to play at the next festival. People were doing that back then, yeah. too, with, yeah. you know, whatever recordings they were finding, whoever they were meeting, you know, coming through town. Right. And one difference also is in in those days, a lot of times, I think a lot of people didn't have access to the recordings, right. or maybe they just heard it once, or maybe they just heard some guy on the street play a tune, but because of the way... People who are educated were educated to... Um, memorize things. They'd have to m memorize long speeches and narrative poems and things like that. And people who weren't educated had to be able to remember because they couldn't write stuff right, down. And right. I think people just had a much more of a facility for hearing something once and being able to carry it away in some form. And then right. they'd make it their own. Yeah. I bet they listened so much differently because like, I think they did. I think I, I often don't, engage in a way that's going to like imprint a tune in my brain because I, because I know that I'll be able to listen to it again somewhere right. else. And yeah. they, that's a really good point. Yeah. And like I think also they issue. just didn't have, they just weren't getting as much input. I mean, it's, especially before radio, when the only music that they were hearing was going to be live in person. Right. Yeah. And so they, they'd hear, they'd hear their neighbor play the same five tunes over yeah. and over and over again. But, you know, for a new tune, that would be something really yeah. cool and special. Yeah, I love that. And because you were saying that there's a John Sharp recording, right? Yeah. And he's he's Kentucky, right? Sorry? John Sharp's a Kentucky fiddler, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and so... Actually, I'm not... Sh I, I think so. I can't remember, actually. I, I love I love the <laughs> I love this idea that this, like, Canadian, Scottish fiddler playing this tune about... One of the Great Lakes. Uh, it's a, it, it com I believe it commemorates a battle. A battle. Okay, very good. I love that that made its way down to a Kentucky fiddler. And the Kentucky fiddler, you know, John Sharp isn't thinking, 
well, that's not a Kentucky tune, so I'm not going to play it. He's thinking, that's a cool fiddle tune. I'm going to play it. Well, it was ever thus. I mean, any musician, if they hear something, they think it's cool, they're going to want to play it. They don't care. You know, those whole issues of cultural appropriation, that's a very recent concept. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, 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 I mean, you could say John Sharp appropriated this tune from William Craig, whoever he was. And, th- and thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. you have you ever seen um, Hank Bradley's little book, uh, Cultural Plundering, and I can't remember. Have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, I had him on the show. And, and oh, he, cool. And he, he made he, that he stance. He's like, oh, I'm good. a big fan. Well, I just, I just, I just uh, yeah. ran across that in our, in our house, and yeah. that was a, a seminal yeah. tract for me. Yeah, I think sometimes the the discourse has, uh, you know, around the sensitivity around these things has gotten a bit distracted into, like, identitarian ownership as opposed to, like, the, the real issue that people have is when someone takes something without acknowledgement. Right. And, and makes a bunch of money. And makes a bunch of money right. and then doesn't pay respect, right. you know, to where it right. comes from. Respect is, that is the key word. Yeah. Uh, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, but it's like, I'm appropriating this music every day, you know, from yeah. someone, you know, yeah. and uh, I I certainly would hate if someone asked me to stop. <laughs> yeah. But I also want to make sure that I'm respecting, you know, the folks who gave me these tunes. Yeah. Well, we got right into it. Sorry. Didn't we? After I, the I, first I... tune. I love it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what What else do you want to play? And then I want to ask your old-time music origin story. Well, we'll do let's see. First. Let's play. Uh, well, while we're while we're in Kentucky, you want to pl- try and play that Hog-Eyed Man? Yes. From uh, Luther yeah. Strong. Yeah. So the the story with Luther Strong, you know, there's just that one little set of recordings. Nobody ever went back to record them mm. again, even though those recordings are so great. You've heard them and you know how great they are. So why did no one ever go back? Yeah. Because Alan Lomax was such a jerk. Oh no. <laughs> that he, uh, the story was that they ran him off with a shotgun huh. and uh, from thenceforth, Luther Strong did not want us, any visitors coming in recording his music. Was it because he was being so extractive or just like disrespectful or like Well, you know, that's kind of in the eye of the beholder. And I mean, yeah. if you if you listen to Alan Lomax's um interviews with his what they used to call informants, I think that's not a politically correct word informants. now. Informants, interesting. Yes, that in folklore that's what they used to call wow. informants. Interesting. Yes. In the brief period where I studied folklore in the seventies, they were yeah. still using that word. Anyway A loaded word. Um right. <laughs> I mean I also heard that that Alan Lomax bailed him out of jail where he was in the drunk tank okay. to make these recordings and he didn't even have a fiddle. He made them on a borrowed fiddle. Interesting. Imagine. Yeah. But I don't I don't Alan Lomax could be kind of pushy you know and and he might have been too too northern maybe too pushy right you know just like not maybe as culturally sensitive as he could have been but you gotta you gotta say about alan lomax whatever else you might say right he got the results yeah absolutely you know it's really complicated um i'm thinking of another person who won't be named 
that um, was very pushy and got a lot of recordings to happen mm-hmm. and of a person who died too young. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a, and everyone's like, oh, I feel complicated about that relationship, but mm-hmm. sure, I'm glad those recordings exist. You know? Well, I mean, you, you know, there's that, there's a recording on, uh, uh, of Marcus Martin, where I can't remember what tune it's associated with, but you know, he's always, he's asking him to pluck the strings and what the tuning is. And then he says something like this old time music, fiddle music that you play, Mr. Martin, you know, it's, it's not popular. Nobody really cares about it. Nobody really (laughs) wants to hear it. Why do you, why do you play it? And then you hear Marcus Martin draws in a breath. Like I imagine he's thinking, what am I going to say to this? Yeah asshole you know and he says well music is for the upbuilding of people it's the most high thing and then there's a skip in the disc and he says it's the most high thing it's the most high thing Mm. Mark Simos wrote a good song about that the most high thing yeah anyway I'm sorry I I, I, no I love that I digress You gotta get me to I, shut up and play some tunes. I, I've yeah. heard the upbuilding quote. I didn't know it was a response to. Um, it was a response. A, a, a pushy, rude. Well, uh, that's how I read it. It of, may yeah. it may have been different, but that's when I listen to that recording. Yeah. That's what I hear. Hmm. Yeah, I hear a, a kind of a slightly fed up, but still very polite. Yeah, extremely a polite. With kindness, kind of answer. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I love that. It's like, well, what do you think? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, what do you want to play here? Let's play... The... You want to play that hog-eyed man? Yeah, the hog-eyed man. Yeah.
Tim. Oh my goodness. Yeah, great tonality on that one. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, I, I especially appreciate. Down, down. <laughs> yeah. That's a great. I don't know where else I've ever heard that before. Yeah, I yeah. can't think of anything like that either. <laughs> Good one, Luther. It's unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when did you start playing old time music? Well, I guess in my late teens. I mean, I played, I played um, violin when I was a child, but I didn't enjoy it at all. Mm. It was not fun. I had a very old school teacher where the um, the emphasis was on not making a mistake, you know, yeah. and it just really was not about music at all. Yeah. Um, Interesting, because... Jane had a different... Jane, Jane had, had a very different experience, but Jane is... Uh, Jane is almost four years younger than I right. am. And um, by the time it was time for her to start lessons, um, she was in the very first Suzuki class in America. I'm yeah. sure she told you about it. Yeah. And so... She had a really different experience from me yeah. that was really fun. But my teacher, it was bummer. not fun. She didn't, it just was not fun. It yeah. wasn't fun. Yeah. I did, when I went, when we went to music school on Saturday, I had to take the violin lessons, which was terrifying. And I had to take the string ensemble class, which was terrifying. But then I also had an ear training, um, theory and ear training class. And that was great. I had a wonderful, yeah. wonderful teacher, Mr. Michael Uspe. And that has stood me in good stead for the rest of my life. It was really great. I'm glad you had a little bit of yeah. solid yeah. musical And then education. when I was about yeah. 10, I heard some other kid playing guitar, and I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. So I made my parents get me a guitar, and my mother, who knew a few chords, she showed me some chords, and I started figuring out all those songs on the Peter, Paul, and Mary record. And mm. then anytime I met somebody who played the guitar, I'd make them show me some little thing that I practiced it over and over and yeah. over again. So by the junior high, I met other kids who played and I had some music friends who I'm still in touch with. Mm. Um, but it di I didn't know that you could play anything other than classical music on the violin. I just had never been yeah. exposed to it. Then around that same time, I, um, I heard a record by the New Lost City Ramblers. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, <laughs> oh my God, you could play, you know, you could play something else. And so uh, I just started kind of fooling around with not playing any kind of traditional music, really, or, you know, just playing around with in high school with other people playing Grateful Dead songs or what, what have you, you know, just. And it was always easy for me to just find stuff to play. I just didn't, I didn't. I I don't know. That part was pretty seamless. Yeah. Um, then when I did my gap year in between high school and college and I came here to Berkeley, that's when I, well, actually it was a little before that. I, I, um, I used to write these really terrible original songs and I <laughs> sing them in church basement coffee houses. And so yeah. in one of them, I've also done that. Yes. <laughs> I uh, know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in one of them, there was another guy, a, a guy a little bit older who played Scruggs style banjo. And one of my friends who was there with me, he turned out to be a family friend of her family. So um, we became friends and he, we started a little bluegrass band and I played fiddle in it. And we went down, we went, first we went to Boston and we heard 
Ralph Stanley and the Clinch Mountain Boys, the best bluegrass I've ever heard in yeah. my life. Oh my God, this band is Ralph on the banjo, uh, Roy Lee Centers playing guitar and singing, Curly Ray Klein playing fiddle, and that's like the most old time bluegrass fiddle yeah, playing there yeah. is, pretty much. Keith Whitley and Ricky Skaggs, yeah, and then Jack Cook on the bass, and the singing was just out of this world. And we went down to the old Stanley home place in McClure, Virginia, to their festival, mm. this little little natural amphitheater in the woods with you know little benches that the band had built and a little wooden stage. And you know, it was like Carter Stanley had passed by then, so it was Ralph. Like Bill Monroe was there, Jimmy Martin was there, the Lewis family was there, the McLean family was there, Jim and Jesse. I mean, everybody. Yeah. All the, all the first generation, neither Flat nor Scruggs was there. Okay. But, yeah. you know, all the other really important things. And so that's kind of how I got into it was through bluegrass. Yeah. Yeah. I was unaware. Yeah. yeah I hadn't got. Hadn't and I gotten... still love to play bluegrass. It yeah. was, a, you know, about 10 years ago or so, we had a band here with um, Bill Evans called the bluegrass intentions that was a pretty good band and mm. you know i got to got to play take your bluegrass breaks. i got to play bluegrass like after having 20 years of playing old-time music so it was like yeah. more informed yeah right on yeah yeah okay. yeah so that's how i came to it and then i came out here and i started going to the hoots at the freight and salvage when it was in a little storefront down on san pablo and then through that i kind of met everybody and i found the people who played old-time music and i thought oh that's some cool people i want to be like them yeah you know so it sounds like you i became them had a yeah <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you had a pretty effortless time just uh well, the, finding the music, getting inspired, I finding was, the community. I was so clueless. I was just so clueless. I really didn't know the difference between shit and Shinola. I did not know the difference between playing in an authentic way. Sure. And I just was, I, and you know, yes, I was attracted to the sound of the music, but really for me, yeah. it was about a social thing. Yeah. It was just about thinking these people really were amazing and i really wanted to hang out with them yeah. and and that was a way to do it and of course with old time music you don't have to you're not put on the spot to play any breaks you know and i was younger than the other players they were most of them were five ten or more years older than me yeah. so i was kind of like you know their pet or something sure sure um yeah. and then the other thing about being here too is that there were there were you know, when I was back east, there there were no other girl fiddlers that mm. I ever met. Mm. I didn't meet any. There, I know that I know now that there were some other people doing it, but they're certainly never on stage. Never, 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 yeah. never on huh. stage. You know, this is we're talking about nineteen seventy one. Yeah. But then out here, there was you know, Lori Lewis, there was Sue Draheim, who I later played in a band mm. with, there was Kathy Whitesides, Irene Herman. Mm. There were there were a whole bunch of women fiddlers that were really good and nobody was like telling them that they couldn't play because they were a girl. Right. So that that helped me a lot. You you saw that there was an opportunity to do this thing that maybe in your in your hometown, home region, 
it would be uh well yeah and then would look, look and then because because we were a small group of people you know yeah. small group of i mean there were a lot of girl guitar players and singers but not and not not so many fiddlers or banjo players but so you know we'd gravitate together because we really had a we had something in common and and when i say that the women musicians were accepted here they were accepted but there was still Sure. There was still a... You had to prove yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I hate to say it, but you never really could tell whether people were letting you join their jam because they liked your playing or whether they just wanted to get laid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wow. (laughs) That's <laughs> so much to Sorry, but No, yeah, I'm 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 not surprised that's so much to navigate. Um, and and actually the two things weren't mutually exclusive either. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah, the the power relationships there are so complicated. Uh I really appreciated this thing I I saw. It was like someone made this like cross stitch and it just said give women opportunities especially the ones you aren't attracted to. And I was like, that's really powerful. I hadn't heard that before. And I was like, oh yeah. Then you start seeing it everywhere. You know, and out of all of that came um, Any Old Time String Band, which was the band that I had in the middle 70s with Kate Brislin and Sue Draha and Jenny Haley and Valerie Mandel, like who, you know, all went on to do amazing things. I mean, Sue is not with us anymore, but... You know, that was a that was a good band and a seminal band and we actually made some records, which in you know, in those days before people were putting out their own records. Yeah. Um not not every band did make a record. Yeah. Um and we also had a regular twice a week gig in San Francisco. We had a big following. And you know, we we didn't do a lot of going on the road, a little bit on the West Coast, not but not much. And we never played outside of the west coast but you know we all kind of look after look out for each other yeah yeah and and it was a it was just a different kind of closeness yeah yeah i guess you have the musical connection you have gender affinity and you also have the necessity of keeping an eye on each other while you're on the road yeah yeah and and we had a we had a shared experience too. And I, and I, yeah. I think, you know, I think Lori would tell you the same thing or any of the yeah. women who were playing music at that mm. time. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've been thinking about it because, um, this exhibit in Bristol, Virginia at, I can't remember the name of the museum, but they've just opened a exhibit recently about women and old time music. It's very oh, interesting. Okay. I'll give yeah. you the, I'll look up the website for you. You could, they, they've started a, there's an online thing too, but the actual exhibit we got, I got a um, zoom tour through it last week and it really was very interesting. They, I mean, some of it is about people like Ola Bell Reed and mm-hmm. Hazel Dickens mm-hmm. and Samantha Bumgarner and people who aren't around anymore. But then there's also stuff about people who are playing now, both older people like me and then young people. Yeah. So pretty cool. I'll have to go visit that. On my mind. Yeah. Well, let's play another tune and then let's talk about the uh, Berkeley old time music. All right. That sounds good. What's, what's next here? Well, let's see. We've done two so far. 
We did too. You okay, want to do Jenny run away in the yes, in the night? Yes, absolutely. With the funny note. Yeah, I'll try we'll my best to bend into that. There might be some some interesting tonality <laughs> in this <Okay>. one. <laughs> There's so much space between that G and that G sharp. So many notes in there. <laughs> it's kind of hard to play it with another person in a certain way. Yeah. It's yeah. fun though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. So uh, I see here on this um, brochure for the Berkeley Old Time Music Convention, there's a, a 20 year. Yeah. It's going to be the 20th one. So great. I know. I can't believe it. How did that happen? Yeah. I never really, I don't think any of us really thought it would last that long. So, tw does it mean 20 occurrences or the 20th anniversary? This is the 20th one. The 20th one. Yeah, very good. So, maybe it didn't... Next year, it can be the 20th anniversary. Ha ha ha. Did you miss one because of the pandemic and then no, do another? No, we didn't you did it online. We did it... We. Oh, my God. What a headache. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did in... I guess it would have been in... 
19 wait what year did the pandemic start 2020 in march was okay when it so in 2020 us. we yeah. did one that was entirely online and it was actually it was really successful i mean yeah. the, everything was really well attended uh we were able to pay all of our artists really well really well and People they didn't even really have to leave generous. home yeah you know so and it was great it but it was so much work yeah. and um Zoom hadn't figured out how to accommodate musicians yet, I think, at that point, you know. Yes, yeah. so that there was that, and there was there was technic difficulties, and some of the musicians were less technically uh -huh. adept than others. And then the, the other thing was that, you know, there was no social payoff. Right. right. So that was a little annoying, right. but I'm really glad we did it. Yeah. I'm really glad we did it. And then the next year we did some online and some yeah. live. Is that right? Yeah. So 20, 2021 yeah. vaccines. Were out and then last then. year yeah. we did, well, we've continued, we're, we're continuing to put the Thursday and Friday night concerts on the web, Oh, great! you know, uh, live stream them. I hope we'll be able to do that this year. We, we've been doing that. And that's, that's nice. Then people from far away can see it. And then we can, we post it afterwards too. So. How did it, uh, how did it start? How did it start? Um, well, in 2003, the Berkeley Farmer's Market, the Berkeley Farmer's Market used to do little events on, at the Saturday market. And for a number of years, they did a, sort of a Cajun music thing where we'd play with Danny Poulard and people would dance and it was, it was great. Um, by 2003, Danny Poulard had passed on and so that band was, had broken up. So they, they got in touch with me and asked if I could put on a bluegrass festival. Hmm. And I said, that's a cool idea, you know, so what's your budget? And it was like three hundred dollars. Oh my goodness! And I said, "Ooh, I don't think I'm going to be able to put on a bluegrass festival, but but we can do something." Yeah. <laughs> so then I like talked to our my friends and said, "What can we do? I know we'll have a string band contest." Okay. Very so good. we had a string yeah. band contest, and it was awesome. Tons of people showed up, and it was it was. I don't even remember. Oh, the prizes were wooden nickels that you could spend at the farmer's market. Yeah. And then Cute. we used to, and the Ecology Center also had these nice glasses. I don't, probably you can't see that. This one's pretty worn. And everybody who participated got a free pint yeah. glass. We're not able to do that anymore. But yeah. <laughs> and the band that won was the Squirrely String Band. And they're oh, still. Oh, very good. That, that, that was their first time ever playing on stage. And they won the contest. And they're still playing today, 20 years later, and they're going to play so this great. year. Oh. So then after it was done, you know, the Squirrelies and Brendan and Maxine and Karen Heil and a bunch of other people, we all sort of got together and said, you know, we should, let's do this again next year, but why don't we have a concert too? So I think the, I think the first year we just added a concert and then we, then we kind of expanded and we... I don't remember if it was the year after that, or I can't remember if it was the second or third year, but we got, we got Mike Seeger to come and we got Kenny Hall to come yeah. and we had such a good turnout for the concerts and stuff that we were able to pay them like twice what we offered them, oh, so great. which that felt really That's good. Dream. Yeah. And then we kind of added workshops and this, that, and the other thing until it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we said, That's it. We're not going to expand beyond that. And so we sort of ended up with the format that we have now. Hmm. 
but we've kind of expanded into some other things. Um, a couple of years ago, we started having some Cajun music. Um, last the two years ago during the pandemic, David Greeley came. Oh, cool! I guess there was that we yeah there was one year we did the I think we did the string band contest even during the pandemic. That yeah. was because it's outdoors. So that's continued to be a uh, a yearly uh, facet of of this. Sorry, say again. You continue to do the contest. Yeah, we uh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah, the contest. That's it's kind of like the it's centerpiece the center. of the whole That's thing. So great. Yeah, because yeah. it's free. It's outdoors. It's in the park. Lots of people show up and people yeah. jam. Hmm. So we started having some Cajun music a couple of years ago, and Ed Poulard, the wonderful younger brother of Danny Poulard, who's a great fiddler and a great accordion player and an accordion maker, he's coming. And then this year we're also having some. Mexican music, um, Renee Peña Govea is going to okay. play with her parents and her son. And I was hoping that her sister, La Doña, was going to be able to be there. But La Doña is too busy, like, playing at the Fillmore. And yeah. I mean, she's a big star now. Cool. Renee's younger sister. But I've known Renee and La Doña since they were little. Well, yeah, I, lo I love that that's included. But, it's you know, it's nice to just kind of expand the, the parameters. I mean, my... My whole introduction to the music was from the New Lost City Ramblers, and they did, you know, that's where I heard my first Cajun music. Yeah. You know, so they they knew about the, it's not just fiddle and banjo music, so, yeah. 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 Lovely. Yeah, I, it's, it's just another old time music. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're having some, you know, really what people think of when they think of old time music. I mean, you don't get much more old time music than uh, the Slate Mountain Ramblers, sure. which for yeah. for here is gonna, is Richard and Barbara Bowman and then um, Ivy and David Shepard. Yeah. Last time they, two years ago, Richard and Barbara and Ivy came. David didn't come because he had like a heart attack about two days before. Okay. Yeah. But he urged Ivy to come anyway, yeah. and she did. And it would ju we just fell in love with them. So they're mm. coming back. And Perfect. I mean, that's just like the, for me, is like at the heart of what old time music means to me. But Nikosi is coming with his trio. And yeah, yeah it's going to be fun. Yeah. And we'll have some good singing with. Reeb and Caleb and and I'm very excited for Sheila K. Adams oh, very to good. be coming. She she was here a long time ago now, so it'll be great to have her back. Well, I've heard so much about this about this festival, and one of these days, one gonna, of these days, you got to come. come yeah, you can camp in our yard. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine it's a good time of year to do that. Yeah, and there's a yeah, there's always a lot of people staying here and at everybody's houses and a lot of nice parties and mm. yeah, it's a good time. Well, what else should we play? Oh, let's see. How about you want to play that? The springs all muddy in the pot oh, yeah. all dry. Yeah. That's a Great. good one. That's from um, Melvin wine. I believe if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure that's right. Thank you. 
That's a really cool tune. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those neat little shapes. Because mm -hmm. often, you know, in a tune like that, I'm going to get like granular here. It would go. Or something like that. But yeah, yeah, you picked up on that. That's cool. I know, that's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know if I've played that before. Yeah. 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 Lovely. Yeah, hmm. sometimes he plays. But. Yeah. Both of those things. Landing yeah. right on that on that D note. Yeah. I know. I, I just realized that so many of the tunes that we've played today have this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of seconds there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You like you like cool tunes. I uh, am enjoying your your tune taste. I guess I'm in a kind of a dissonant mood today. Oh yeah, good. <laughs> That's a great creative space to be in. I think. <laughs> well, before we play our final tune. Where do people go to register for the uh, Old Time Music Convention? Well, Ber if you go to berkeleyoldtimemusic.org. Great. berkeleyoldtimemusic.org, yeah. and you can find all the information there. And this year it's September 20th through the 24th, and there's still time to... I don't know when this is going to come out. I'll, I'll do it next week. Okay, well, there's still time to register for the string band contest, and all oh, that great. information yeah. is on the website, and it's a, always a really good time, so I hope maybe some of you listeners will come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you have some upcoming projects. Do you want to talk about them here? Sure, okay, why not? great. They're, they're not exactly this kind of old-time music. One is a project of... Songs by the singer-songwriter Paul Siebel, who made a couple of albums in like the late 60s or early 70s, um, which I learned when I was in my early 20s. Never met the man. He um, got out of music in the early 1980s, but through some online concerts that I did, and he heard, yeah. uh, he called me up, and we had some amazing phone conversations before his death. Uh, so I'm going to do a whole recording project of his songs, including some that um, nobody has ever heard. So that's kind Amazing. of kind of cool. Yeah. And then I'm also doing another album of um, blues songs, and those are going to be some, what used to be called classic blues. Now I think they're called vaudeville blues. And that's the kind of Bessie Smith, Ma Rainey, sure. that kind of blues, yeah. and then some country blues too. And that that's going to be a more guitar-based album, but I'll do some fiddle stuff too. Great. Yeah. Can't wait. You were saying you can't play blues in the cross tuning, but you can. You want to hear one? Yeah, absolutely. This is this is a no-name blues that was from an Alan Lomax recording of a fiddler named Wayne Perry in Crowley, Louisiana in 1934. And Wayne Perry had an interesting repertoire. He played some kind of a very unusual old-time Cajun stuff, not like what we think of as Cajun music, but kind of more archaic. And then he also played, he played a great, um, he played some, what they call down there, English tunes like, um, he has a great old Joe Clark, for example, huh. and other tunes yeah. like that. And there was a Weevilly Wheat that was also very cool. And then this tune, and all the tunes are mislabeled. So like, there's a waltz that's called Acadian Two-Step, and I think this one is called Acadian Waltz. Okay. <laughs> And it's just, it's just, um, 
It's just solo fiddle, so you can harmonize it however you want. Okay. And it's just kind of a riff, but I really love to play it. Come to the Berkeley Old Time Music Convention starting two weeks from today. You can find more information at berkeleyoldtimemusic.org and visit Susie's website, ericandsusie.com, to check out her prolific discography and her many, many projects. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. That's also linked in the show notes, along with links to sign up for my banjo lessons, pitchforkbanjo.com, my clawhammer instructional video series, and my old-time trio, Tall Poppy String Band. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool.